You're listening to the Close to Home Podcast, where we believe your home should feel like your favorite place, not just a space. Tune in to get your questions answered, hear from experts, and learn the newest trends, how-tos, and stories to live your best life at home. If you're ready to learn about the housing market, get your financial house in order, be entertained, or make your best life at home, this show is for you. Now here's your host, realtor, educator, investor, and dog lover, Brennan Klaus. Hi everyone, it's Tracy Erickson with the Close to Home podcast. Today we have Eric Carlson talking with us. Uh, And for those of you that don't know, Eric has been uh, pretty much a fixture and a staple uh, in the restaurant industry um, and, you know, in the cocktail and bar industry as well here in Seattle for a number of years. So Eric, thank you for joining us. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit. I mean, for those people that don't know you, let's talk a little bit about, um, who you are, where you, where you came from, um, and you know, where, how, you know, how you've gotten, um, to where you are in this journey through the restaurant industry. Oh, wow. Um, so I think that for as long as I can remember, um, from the time I was like 15 or 14 years old, I think I had my first restaurant job, um, as a dishwasher. Um, it was this restaurant called Peter's in the park, uh, where the the Starbucks is now in Madison park. Oh yeah. And then I think I, I got sort of, um, tired of people throwing dirty pots at me. Um, although I did eat, (laughs) I did eat very well at my first restaurant job. Uh-huh. And then I sort of um, kicked around as a busser at the Lush I Lake Cafe. Um, and then I sort of just, it just kind of like stayed in my blood. And I always had a part-time job as either a busboy or a dishwasher um, through my teenage years, which was kind of cool because it was kind of like a two to three day week commitment. And I kind of maybe just got addicted to the whole um uh, fun social aspect of it. And then um, before I know it, I turned turned 46 and um, I look back and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it flew by, especially when I started having Don't kids. Don't age yourself. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Oh. Um, so I, I think if I look back on it, I've done a little bit of everything in the kitchen or in the restaurant. I, I have never been a line cook is probably the only thing I can't, can't say for sure I've done. Um, so I've just been more familiar and comfortable in the front of the house and, um, have just sort of gravitated to that. And so, um, I've had weird, I've had a weird schedule for the last, you know, 26 years working nights. And I kind of look back and go, oh my gosh, it's hard for me to relate to people, um, who have sort of a daytime schedule. And I see people out, um, walking their dogs and having these normal times with their, you know, spouse or girlfriend. And I I can't relate to that because I'm always heading to work at one o'clock and then heading back home about 11 or 1130. Um, And so I've, I just kind of realized I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've just sort of had this alternate schedule. Although I thought it was totally normal all these years, you know, you know, that life. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I do. I do. Um, So thinking back, when was the first time that somebody let you behind the bar? Because this is really your specialty out of everything you've done in the restaurant. I mean, yeah. this is what you're known for. So when was that first time that someone was like, yeah, get back here. Go ahead. Let's see what you got. Well, it's super funny because when I uh, moved to San Francisco in 1998, 
I was my last job in Seattle was at Axis Restaurant in Belltown, which is now called, which is something different now. I think it's called Amber or something. And so uh, our good friend Jason Jason Kroom and I were hired to be busboys. And I remember I got sort of um, they were needed Expo, which is the person who kind of runs the food from the kitchen to the dining room. And so I was hired to do that job, and Jason was hired to be a bar back in the bar. And I remember being so jealous that he was chosen to work in this kind of upscale bell town bar where they're like muddling kamikaze, uh, watermelon kamikazes and everyone's still smoking in there. It was just such a weird scene. And so I remember thinking to myself, damn, I wish I was in there doing that. But I was like, meanwhile, I'm just getting abused by the kitchen guys who are trying to break me in. And I, I'm really glad I got that experience, but I, I was secretly always jealous that I didn't get recruited to be in the bar. Anyway, fast forward is um, when I moved to San Francisco in 1998, I got my first barback job at this restaurant in Union Square called Scala's Bistro. And I kind of hustled my way into my first barback position. And I didn't know anything. And I remember um, I got my first opportunity to be a, a, a lunchtime bartender. And this is how intense the training was back then. They said, okay, you're going to work your first lunch job um, as, this, as, the, as the bartender. I was like, okay, that's cool. I can handle that. And then I was in my first job, set the bar up, everything looked kind of nice and perfect. And then the first drink drink ticket came in. It was a margarita, and I had no idea how to make a margarita. And I thought, oh, this is gonna, <laughs> this is going to end as fast as it started. Um, and so I remember the server who rang in the drink had to come back and show me how to make it. But the funny thing is, from that day forward, I I never forgot how I felt unprepared for that first opportunity. And so. Ever since then, I've done everything I could to make sure that the people I hired and the people I work alongside have all the tools and sort of are set up for success and never have to experience this sort of like being hung out to dry. You know what I mean? So that really, that first super unfun experience actually like had a a profound effect on how I looked at training people and, you know, that skill set moving forward. So anyway, super cool learning experience. Well, and then from Scala's in San Francisco, where did you go? (laughs) So I bounced around uh, the Bay Area for about 11 years, and I worked everywhere from hotel lobby bars to um, uh, gay restaurants in the Castro to up night nightclubs to neighborhood places. And I, I saw a little bit of everything from each place. I kind of picked apart what I wanted to take forward with me, and I sort of left behind the things I was uninterested in. So and. I kind of remember having this feeling of um, I got my first job as a bar manager. And so I was hired at the Cliff Deltel and it's all union. So it's all very um, uh, seniority rules. And I, I was hired the same week as my ex-wife, Taya, who got all the shifts and I kind of got all the, the not so good shifts. And so when my <laughs> boss, <laughs> I know. She's probably much cuter than you. Yeah, I, I, I was just stuck. In, I was stuck in this lobby bar and the lobby bar, I was, you go behind this panel. And so you open the secret door and I was like wedged in this kind of closet off of the lobby, making the cocktails back there. And I thought, and I, I thought to myself, this is so depressing. And this is a hotel where um, Ian Schrager owned and we'd have tons of celebrities coming through and there was always someone in house, whether it was like, like most deaf or Denzel Washington or Chris Rock, or I mean, uh, all these famous rock stars. And so I'd be stuck and in this you were like, shoved in a closet. I was stuffed in a closet. And so I remember my boss felt so bad for me that when he left, he quit, he promoted me. And so overnight I became the bar manager of this place. And that's when I started just getting 
I, I remember thinking to myself, no one's taught me how to do this job. And once again, I was in this kind of position where everything was trial and error. And I was always sort of bitter that no one was just like pulling me aside to like teach me how to like work the, uh, you know, how to like work this job that I was like completely overwhelmed in, but I kind of just faked it and kind of, um, once again, kind of notches on the belt, kind of like, you know, kind of calloused me to sort of, um, handle a lot of insane nights and moments. So, and how long were you there for? Uh, I was there for, I lasted four years. <laughs> uh, and they, they kept firing everybody around me. And so at one point I was managing this restaurant by myself for about four months with no days off. And I was super miserable and I was working 12 hour days. And then I left that job because I'd had enough. And I started working at the slanted door and the slanted door was sort of like this refuge of, you know, farm to table was a big term back then. And everyone was using organic limes and these um, uh, wonderful agricultural spirits, like these rums I'd never heard of. And that was sort of like an awakening of like getting away from this insane nightclub um, where, you know, I would come into these meetings at the hotel and the, the, the hotel staff was very prim and proper. And we'd sit in these lineups and the um, GM of the hotel would go around to say, Oh, the concierge who's checking in. Oh, Mrs. So-and-so and so-and-so are checking in and it was, everything was very normal. They, Eric, how was the bar last night? And I'd say, well, um, I broke up a fight between these prostitutes and these, uh, you know, intoxicated, oh. intoxicated group of Persian men that were yeah. throwing glass, throwing glasses at each other. And I, I remember just being to myself, this is a oh whole different God. world. And they would just stare at me kind of like in, in shock and awe of all these crazy yeah. things that was happening. Yeah. So um, ever since then, I sort of just, knew I kind of was attracted to that kind of uh, craziness and anarchy, but in a controlled manner. Um, anyway, Slandor was a complete opposite. It was like this wonderful neighborhood restaurant that was um, chef run and everything they did was um, very family oriented. And, um, you know, from the staff meals they would lay out, they'd feed us really well. And um, anyway, that was sort of my introduction back to like normal restaurants. Um, and it was like my healing period of like working these, you know, working till four in the morning, you know, four to six days a week was just not healthy. So you can imagine. Well, and um, wouldn't you say at the slanted door, that was um, kind of the, the time that the craft cocktail was really breaking through, you know, where we were going from like a, a kamikaze to like, Hey, you know, let's use these organic ingredients and make our own, you know, like yeah, yeah, do for sure. all of our own ingredient. Yeah. 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 And, and, and one of the people I worked there was Jennifer Callout and she was, she started small hand food syrups and uh, Thad Vogler went on to start Bar Agricole and True Normand and um, all these wonderful kind of like very um, uh, kitchen vibe restaurant bars. And so um, it was just a good kind of like a reset for me. And then um, when I left that place, I kind of bounced around a little bit and eventually um left San Francisco in 2008, 2009 and joined you and your lovely husband yeah. um, in, in Ballard. And so I kind of, well, a lot of people, a lot, of, actually I'll pause because a lot of people don't know that about me that probably listen to this because it's, you know, we're doing the close to home podcast in real estate, but years ago when I first met my husband um, and I guess that was 2008, you're yes. probably right. That's when um, you guys got the space, I think. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin had already opened uh, one restaurant up in Seattle, and that's when we got together. And then two years later, he wanted to do a sushi restaurant. And um, his idea for that concept was 
sushi in Ballard, but he wanted to do this amazing bar with craft cocktails. And, you know, when he was going through his business plan and the idea, I feel like his first, one of his first calls was to you because side note, Kevin and Eric um, have been best friends since high school. So they have a very long history together. So during that time, when Kevin, you know, was building out Moshi Moshi, he is like, we got to get Eric Carlson up here. But um, at that time, you know, you were living in San Francisco. You just, you just had one child at that time because, because that you and I both had our seconds at the same time. So that came later. Um, And so at that point you're like, okay, like we're, we're ready to, you were ready to come home, ready to come back up to Seattle. Absolutely. And I think that at that point I was kind of ready to, I kind of spent my twenties in San Francisco, which was a blast. And I kind of was like, okay, I have a kid now. Um, my mom was, you know, had run a preschool for 40 years. My sister's owned a preschool. So coming home made a ton, a ton of sense. And I was kind of excited to get back home and kind of give my kids the growing up vibes that I kind of had. Um, yeah. And then you got, you got roped into the restaurant business <laughs> and we had a lot of, it was, it was, oh my it was gosh. It was a, a oh fun, fun few years, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah it, no, was. it was. I think that for and that's a good, good kind of like um, segue. And that I, I think I'm most happiest when I'm I'm opening up places and um, uh, taking taking kind of a blank space and and nurturing it and opening it is kind of my favorite part of the business. Not to say I don't love when everyone you know then comes into the restaurant, so that's wonderful as well. But I do enjoy that sort of um, excitement of uh, planning and organizing and hiring people and training people and getting the concept and marketing together to launch a restaurant. And so that's, that's kind of what I've been doing for the last 10 or so years. That is kind of my favorite thing to do. Well, and at that time too, when you were coming up to Seattle from San Francisco, Seattle, you know, (laughs) we're always kind of a little behind the times, but you know, the craft cocktail had not really hit Seattle yet. You know, people weren't using um, fresh ingredients. They weren't squeezing their own juices. They weren't using, you know, all the different bitters and, you know, remember, I, I specifically remember like the coupe glass. Yeah. How, remember <laughs> remember how, the how coupe upset, glasses? How, you're oh. so freaked out. Oh, I was like, where's the martini glasses? And you're like, we use coupes now. And I was like, that's like two sips. And he like we back and forth, back and forth. And of course we use the coupes, but. Yeah. Um, but it took me, Tracy, it's, that's a good point because I had to essentially break in an entire culture of people in that neighborhood that had never seen that glass and that only yeah. knew a martini glass. And so I remember you saying, that thing looks so small. And I said, trust me, over the next few years, people will get used to it. And it did take a few years because people, I remember the kind of like, I think Kevin would say the perception is reality a lot, in which I totally got. But I was, up until this day, I still get a few people coming to the restaurants going, what is this glass? And generally, there are people who are a little bit older, kind of used to that V-shaped martini glass. Um, but that was a huge deal. And it was like, it was like people were kind of freaked out about that. And I think there was two restaurants or two bars in Seattle. Um, Zigzag and Vessel were the two bars at the time that were kind of like getting all the cocktail press. And I think actually Zigzag still used those little um, uh, V-shaped martini glasses, but they had such a, a long history that we were the first kind of neighborhood place that sort of did that. And then I remember how cool it was because on my first couple of weeks of opening Moshi Moshi, every bartender in Seattle like came through to say hello and show up at the bar. And I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like it was such a small knit community of people who like wanted to have all this change. And I remember being like, felt really welcome. And I, I did feel kind of like special that people were like going out of the way to come to Ballard. Cause at the time 
nothing was really happening in Ballard. I think Moshimoshi was the first brand new restaurant of the new times there. And everything else was the old Irish pub. So yeah, it was very cool. Very fun time. Yeah, you're right. It was, it, it was still, you know, it was still kind of on the verge of what it was, which was like this old fishing community, you know? Yep. Um, and Ballard Ave certainly didn't have what it has today, but, um, you know, I mean, French lavender, remember that drink or the purple <laughs> lavender? Was that what it was called? Purple, purple heart. That was like, like my that? favorite drink. Of course. It was and purple. I mean, and for all you, those there were so the many good drinks on that menu. There were so <laughs> many good drinks. And, you know, I mean, people at that time literally were, they weren't even coming for the food. I mean, they were coming to sit at the bar and try all of these craft cocktails. And I remember you always saying like with the poop glass, like Tracy, I promise you there's a lot of alcohol in there. It's yeah. just like, but, but the glass is so small and you're like, there is a lot of alcohol in that glass. So, it's so, so cute. Yeah. But it's so cute. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to talk people in that. I remember thinking to myself, I promise you that if there's three ounces in this drink, two ounces is alcohol. You know, totally. One ounce, yep. one ounce is mixer, and now yeah. look all over the place. Like all of a sudden, everyone has that, those cocktail coops. And the funny thing is, back then when I moved up here, um, no one had in big air quotes like cocktail programs, whatever that means now. It's like, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, everyone was just sort of doing whatever they did. And also now, everyone has to hire someone to run their cocktail program. And like, there's thought and, and effort being placed in the hiring people who hopefully kind of know what they're doing um, and then executing it. And I feel like that was a huge um, turn in Seattle because over the next few years you saw all these restaurants open up and bars open up and they started having these um, cocktail programs and, you know, more mini development and taking time to kind of like work on the aesthetics of their menus. So um, anyway, it was, it was a very cool time. And, and now Seattle's kind of blown up and everyone's, um, you know, a lot more cocktail geeks running around. And I feel old now because I look now and I don't recognize all the bartenders I came up with are now like doing other things. They're like, owning bars yeah. or they got yeah. out of the business completely. Um, but I've just sort of, I've, I've enjoyed myself and it, it's been a good, um, good run since, uh, 2008 for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, during that time, you know, I remember, you know, you were doing stuff like every day you would come in so early just to fresh squeeze your juices. And I'm like, dude, we can order that for you. And you'd be like, no, I want, it makes a difference. I want my juice fresh squeezed and you make your simple syrup and you'd have all your different kinds of bitters. And, you know, I mean, it was, and, you know, I'm sure over the years you've streamlined a lot of that stuff, but just getting started with all that, I mean, there was like a lot of work, a lot of prep that went into it and yeah. clearly, you know, it caught on and, um, you know, yeah, we did see as, as time went by after we opened Moshi Moshi, you know, other restaurants trying to create a craft cocktail type program or list on their menu and, um, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember. I, as soon as I left Moshi Moshi, I learned how to delegate very well. Um, right, right. Because we were small. We Moshi Moshi yeah. was a smaller restaurant. You know, I mean, I can't even. Maybe we had like I don't know twenty twenty five people on staff, but in the bar, you know, it was you and maybe two other people. So if that, and so there wasn't really a lot of training going on, and you know, so five years after we opened it, Kevin and I decided to sell it. Um, prior to that you got an opportunity at Bastille at Bastille. That's yeah, right. Which was right across I, the street, which was right across <laughs> the street. So it was really like just a stab in the heart. I'm like, you're going to leave and you're just going to go right across the street. Oh, that's cool. Well, 
Hey, same Thanks. clientele, same regulars. Um, so that yeah. worked. And actually, Tracy, all I've done is basically I zigzagged down Don't Ballard you. Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> so we, when That's I opened true. up, Bas- when I went yeah. to Bastille, it was a year after they opened. And so the Jason Stoneburner and all the chefs would come over after work and sit at my bar every night. And so that's kind of how that happened. And then we opened up uh, Stoneburner uh, a couple years later, and then McLeod's Pub opened up at the same time. So we had four spots on that block or three spots on that block that I kind of kind of ran around a little bit. So it was very convenient for me. Which they bought they bought McLeod's from us, if you remember oh, yeah. that. I because do remember Kevin that. Kevin had that crazy idea. He wanted to open a bar after Moshi Moshi. So we took that cool spot and opened a, a bar and after a year of doing it, I knew that that your restaurant group that you were at, I knew that James and Deming wanted it. And I called, I think James one day and I was like, I'm done. Do you want to buy it? And he was like, <laughs> we'll take it. I'm like, all right, yeah. great. And then, you know, and then that became McLeod's with Alan yeah. McLeod. I was um, talking about that st- story the other day, actually, like two days ago, I was talking about that story about how <laughs> we went to JBL's office and sat in there and talked yes. to him about, turning a guitar store into a, a bar and he's like yeah no he goes know what i love about these restaurants is that one person leaves and the next one rolls right in totally <laughs> totally I, I was just like i'm done and they're like we'll take it i'm like great so that was you know i mean it's funny how those things work but you know in in the restaurant industry i mean that's kind of how you got to get out of things if you know i mean i know it's when crazy you're done, I, I mean you got to figure out who will take it who will want it you know yeah. So, and, you know, I, it's funny because I, I was thinking back there today, I was like, I was searching my, uh, my laptop for my resume. And I realized that I hadn't made a resume since two, two, 2005. Because I, I've just gone from job to job. It just worked out that way. So all of a sudden, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I don't even have a resume. Because I've sort of totally. been lucky enough to sort of have these verbal interviews and, and people recruiting me. And yeah. so um, that's been kind of an interesting way of looking at my, my business and sort of realizing this is all about, um, community. It's all about relationships. It's all about, you know, I was kind of tell my, my staff, I'm like, you never know who's across the bar from you or who's at your restaurant because you're always interviewing. And it, it just sort of worked out that way for me, you know, it, it, without me, you know, um, going out to find people, people find you and you're very accessible. So that's one of the things I loved about the restaurant business. And I kind of joked about how I've had the same clientele in Ballard, but it's true. I've seen the same faces and families um, from my kids' schools to the, you know, Ballard Market to Ballard Avenue. It's the same faces I've seen for the last, you know, 12 years. So that part of it, I really enjoy. Yeah. And I think that is one thing that's unique about Seattle. You know, when people are moving here, it's like, we are so neighborhood focused. So it's like, if you live in the Ballard neighborhood, I mean, you know, everything you need is right there. Restaurants, shops, boutiques. I mean, everyone kind of hangs in Ballard, you know? I mean, yeah. School, where I schools, live, like, you know, there's tons thing. of schools it, too. Yes, yeah. 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 And that's like yeah, a huge, exactly. like, so, it's a huge hub of, and the funny thing is, I'm sorry to cut you off. I was picking no. up uh, Emma the other day from Whittier and um, there's this woman, this couple women next to me having a conversation. I'm, and I'm a, I'm a just very, I eavesdrop a lot, right? Because uh-huh. in restaurants... Because well, you're, yeah, you're behind the bar. Or just anywhere. Like, I remember like, you know, when I used to go on dates with, you know, I remember we would just sit in the restaurant and I'd be like, are you hearing us right now? Like the people <laughs> next to us talk. Um, so I was like, listen, these oh women God. talk about how they, they're taking like a bitters class and how, um, 
you know, they were, she's telling me this other couple about how they, they were making all these bitters and how they steep it and let it sit and da da da. And I thought to myself, this is like what's happened now. And during COVID, when yeah. we all shut down, I, we had to all pivot our business, you know, plans because that got thrown out the yeah. window. And, you know, I had to, it was crazy. I had to lay off my entire staff in two days. And then I realized that two days later, the governor shut us down anyway. So, yeah. And what, I what remember happened texting was texting you and being like, are you okay? And you're like, not good. Like we have, I have to lay everybody off. And I was like, oh my, cause it was, yeah, it was scary. Um, and so what we started doing is we started doing, you know, you know, we had sort of set up the infrastructure for the to-go program. Wasn't quite, it was better at certain restaurants. I'm not so good at other restaurants. Um, we started doing like the cocktail classes to kind of get our clientele feeling like there's where we still had a pulse during all this. And, um, we all had to do these kind of intense pivots and I had some serious thoughts going through this that I didn't know if it was going to come out. Okay. And, um, you know, I was take, I was on unemployment for the first time in my life, which is kind of insane to think about. Um, and I still have a lot of coworkers who have not been back to work in over a year. So wow. it's still out there and it's, you know, in and the Eric, what is the reason for that? Is it just because restaurants have been really, in my opinion, I think they've gotten, the worst of COVID in terms of businesses because they're getting yanked around, you know, like, Oh, we're in phase one. We're in phase two. No, now we're in phase three. You know, they're just having to ping pong all over. But I mean, is that right. the reason why a lot of these people are still out of work or. So well, here, here's the main reason is number one is that I'm sure that you've gone out or I don't know if you have, have you gone out on a date night to a restaurant lately? Have you noticed how there's a lot more planning and organization in that? Like if you yeah. want to go, like let's say it's it's Wednesday today. You want to go on a date Friday or Saturday night. Good luck going to the restaurant of your choice between six and totally. nine p.m. And so what's happened is that um, you get less volume, um, less days open. So uh, if you're open seven days a week before COVID, now you're open four or five tops. Some are only open two, um, and you also have um, a lot of the workforce that went on unemployment and started making more money on unemployment than they ever made. Um, throughout the course of their, their month at work. So, yeah. you know, lobby, lobbies, I don't mean to say kids, but lobbies, younger people started making 30% more income and now they don't have to go to work. And so yeah. that's, I think it's a really tough thing to give up when you're now it's summertime and all of a sudden there's always, you can go on these trips. And, you know, I think that the hardest thing for us has been, we, we recruited back, I recruited back my core group of people who I reached out to first and was in communication with but I know that a lot of restaurants are struggling to um, find a workforce because no one wants to come back to work. And granted, yeah. unemployment eventually is going to be ripped out from under them eventually. But currently, if they're if they're making sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year and they don't have to leave their house, that's appealing, you know. And I, I get that. Yeah. Well, and do you feel like too, like the staff that these? And I I know it's probably situational, but. You know, it seems in certain restaurants that I've been to, they're just overwhelmed because it's like, you know, one day they're very minimal capacity. The next day it's like, oh, we can open up to even more, you know, and, and it's like the floodgates open and they're like, whoa, we are, we're not set up for this. You know, like we don't have enough people working in the kitchen. We don't have enough front of the house staff. I mean, I feel like that's happening. Yeah, we, um, we have had some growing pains. It's like, for instance, I'll take Stoneburner, for instance, when we reopened Stoneburner, we had a, the, just the management team came back and then we sort of brought back a few employees 
And then obviously as we got busier, then we got scaled back to phase one to 25%. And then we bumped up to 50%. And then the PVP money came in and we built these outdoor patios that they covered. And all of a sudden we kind of like, to be honest with you, we went from 50% inside to gaining outdoor seating. So we almost broke even a little bit. We almost went back to our starting number. And now that summer started, Stoneburner has been busy. It's ever been over the last year. And so we've had to hire, keep hiring and hiring. And then the private dining, all of a sudden you can now have private events, which just started last weekend. So, um, well, yeah, people want to get out. I mean, people are vaccinated and it's like, I feel like now the vibe is like, people are excited to get back out there and to be doing some of these things that we used to do, you know, so freely. Yeah. The funny thing is also the new thing now in the restaurants is that whenever you greet guests, the first thing they say is, oh, we're vaccinated. That's like the first thing they say. <laughs> and then, and then, so I got, I got vaccinated. Yeah. So I got vaccinated. Then I go, do I now tell them I'm vaccinated? It's like I, this weird, it's like, it's almost like a flex. It's like a, it's like a, it's yeah. a cool, like, Hey, don't, don't worry about us. We're fine. We're yeah. Vaccinated. We're cool. Are we're you? cool. We're vaccinated. So, that's always, well, I've had a lot of those. Oh weird my com- God. I don't have, a, I don't have a perfect comeback I yet, feel- but I'm working. I'm working on it. I feel like if I sneeze, I have to explain myself. Like I have allergies. It's not COVID, you know. Or you sneeze and go, "Oh, I'm, I'm um, vaccinated." <laughs> I'm vaccinated, and it's, I have allergies. It's not COVID. Um, well, let's talk a little. I mean, let's just kind of. Why don't you tell us, yeah. you know, to wrap this up? Just what's on the horizon for you? You know, what's um, what's yeah. new? What's on the horizon? What's next for Eric Carlson? What's next for Eric Carlson? Oh my gosh! Um, I so, know. So we are. Um, where it's going into summertime. And so um, I'm actually leaving uh, Wyman McLeese restaurants and I'm starting at Ethan's Soul restaurants officially on uh, May 10th as their bar director. So um, exciting. yeah, I'm super excited. Um, I, you know, we talked about me knowing Kevin since grade school and I, you know, I think Ethan and I crossed paths in, at St. Joe's in middle school and then Seattle prep. Um, and when I went to San Francisco and I came back to Seattle, I kind of all of a sudden, realized that Ethan had sort of, you know, developed this amazing reputation as this restaurant tour. And it, I was almost kind of like, cause I didn't have a whole lot of tabs on what was going on in Seattle. So I, you know, when I got back and I started working for, um, Wyman McLeese restaurants, he was him and, you know, Rainey Erickson, I had always followed their kind of paths and all these restaurants they opened up. And so, um, yeah. you know, I kind of joked about how it had made a resume in the last 10 years. And I, I just, all of a sudden this opportunity came up and I'm, I'm I'm really in awe of how many restaurants they've opened up and the success they've been able to maintain. And um, I've been at that current job for 10 years. And so I, I kind of am looking for something just sort of maybe put me out of my comfort zone a little bit and just set a new set of eyes on things. And so I'm excited yeah. to sort of jump into this kind of unknown territory and, and work with a bunch of new people. So I'm super excited. And I, this is my transition week Congrats. right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm organizing and I'm, um, you know, tying up loose ends and I'm trying to get focused yeah. for kind of this new job and, and, and also during this weird kind of COVID time still like nothing's, everything's still kind of weird and, and strange yeah. and in, in flux. So, yes. um, I'm curious to see how it goes as well. It's true. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but I'm excited. Well, that'll super be super excited. exciting. Ethan was, um, we did have Ethan on the podcast, I don't know, maybe a month ago and he just, you know, I mean, he has so many exciting things in the works always. I feel like he's always got something up his sleeve um, so for you to, you know, get out of your comfort zone, I'm sure he'll have 
lots of exciting things in store. So, um, yeah. Thank you for joining us today. And, oh my God, uh, it's been fun. Sorry know. it took so long for yeah. us to hammer down the schedule. I know you guys are so busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, thank you for being patient with us. So um, thanks again for joining. And um, again, Eric Carlson, who is the uh, bar director at ESR, Ethan Stoll Restaurants. And thanks for joining, guys. Everyone have a great day. Cool. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for listening to the Close to Home podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at closetohomepodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend and be sure to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also find us on social media with the hashtag Close to Home Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.